All right, we are back on the Edlow podcast, and I this is I think in my mind um, this was one I have been uh, working with Melissa Hansen, just messaging back and forth, talking with her for quite a while now. I've been really excited, and as soon as you know, I told you a while back, Melissa, uh, I told you a while back. As soon as you're ready, let me know. And then you said, "Okay, I'm ready," and I'm like. Let's get it going <laughs> right now. Let's get you on as soon as we can. So I have with me Melissa Hansen. Hello, Melissa. Hey. And uh, you are a a former member of what? What was the official name of the sect that you were involved in? There's a few names: it's Davis County Cooperative Society, um, the Kingston Polygamous Cult, um, Kingston Polygamous Clan. But legally, it's the Davis County Cooperative Society. Okay, and there was also something, I think, were they called like the Church of Jesus Christ, something, something, very similar to LDS. LDCJC, the Latter-day Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, wow. So, and this, um, you know, you uh, escaped, essentially, for black, I mean, was that what you would say? You escaped the, the polygamous sect? Yeah, I escaped on September 17th of 2012, and I kid for several months wow man so you literally had to run and hide yep i hid in a safe house wow so we'll we'll talk about we'll go back to the beginning but let me just ask what were you hiding from um i had tried to escape several times before and they would always find me and i eventually just knew i had to stay out so i had to get somewhere where i couldn't be pulled back again and when they when you say they pulled you back, um, were, what did they? What kind of tactics did they use to bring you back? Um, a couple times it was physically making me go back. Other times it was you know sweet little nothings words bringing me back, saying things mm-hmm. would change, mm-hmm. and it you know kind of like any relationship, it takes a while to realize that it's such a bad situation. You just have to get out of it. Yeah. And they, who are they? Was it somebody you were close to or just leaders of the church? Um, my husband at the time and leaders and family. Okay. So a group of them. Yeah. Wow. And when you, every, how many times did you try to escape before it worked? Um, that summer about four to five times. Oh, so in a real short amount of time you were trying yeah. to take off. Were, were you doing it alone or did you have other people with you? When I was finally able to leave, it was, I got the help of a group called Holding Out Help. Mm -hmm. Um, They're in Draper, Utah, and they help people that are leaving polygamous communities um, to be able to do what they need to. Sometimes it's all families that are still polygamous. Sometimes it's people needing to get away like I did. Sometimes it's individuals themselves. They just help them to, to get out however they need to. So when a polygamist family wants to get out of a polygamist sect of the church or, or a fundamentalist, I will say a fundamentalist group, um, how does that work? So I've seen a couple where it's a husband and a multiple wives and they want to still make it work. Um, that group makes it clear they're not there to separate any families. And mm-hmm. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You're you're a family. Someone's supposed yeah. to just choose one person. Yeah. That's not reasonable to a lot of people. If you 
really feel like you're doing something important and you really love those people, you could probably still make it work. And mm -hmm. so they just help them get out, get on their feet, get their lives together, how they need to, to, to move on, to be a good part of the community. Now, how old were you when you got out? I was 26. Okay. And were you, so you mentioned a husband at the time, meaning you were a wife. I was the only wife in my marriage, but since a week after we had gotten married, he was trying to get another wife. Really? How old were you when you got married? I was 18. Okay. And then a week later, he's like, I want to bring on another. Yeah. So when we got engaged, I said, I didn't want to live that way. Um, my parents are in the group. My dad has only married my mom. My mom was a stay at home mom. My dad's an attorney in the cold. Huh. Oh, and wow. that's the kind of life I wanted. Um, and he told me that he felt like he didn't need to get another wife to get into the highest kingdom of heaven. And mm -hmm. so, you know, sweet little nothings to get me to marry him. And then a week after we married, he's like, hey, I had direction on this person and I want to go forward on them. And I was just kind of like in shock, like that's not what we agreed to. So but what am I supposed to do now? Now I'm married. When you say he said, I got direction, do you mean like, so I, I've shared with you, uh, I'm I'm LDS, I'm part of the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we talk a lot about personal revelation. So when you say direction, is that what you're referring to? Like God is telling him he needs to take another wife? Yeah, so the Kingston group doesn't date. Um, okay. It's direction from God. Um, so usually the guy gets direction from God and he talks to his father and if his father agrees with it, then they talk to the leader. Then if the leader agrees with it, they talk to the girl's dad. And then if the dad agrees with it, then they talk to the girl. And so uh, what if the what if the girl doesn't agree with it? Um there's I've I had a couple of different options. My mom told me I needed to have three options before I picked a husband. So I I did have a couple of different options. Um, the person that I did choose to marry, um, he was the only one that didn't have multiple wives. <laughs> wow. So, but you're not, you, you don't do any dating? No, you could do, the Kingston's has a lot of events, kind of like the, the LDS church has different events that members can go to. And sometimes you can bring non-members to it. Um, they have just about every Saturday, if not every Saturday, every other Saturday, they have church dances. Mm -hmm. um, Thursdays, they usually have young people meetings, which is meetings for the young people to go to, to learn about work and things like that. And on Sundays, there's, of course, church, um, churches for an hour, and then you separate into Sunday school and Sunday schools for another hour. And so you have those things every weekend that keep you occupied. And so you do get to spend time with people. You get to dance with the different people at dances, but you don't go one-on-one -on -one dating. They, it's against mm -hmm. the rules to do things one-on-one. -on -one. And Why? I I think it's part of just the control. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, uh, I, I guess what I mean by why is when, because for example, when I was a, a youth in the LDS church, they would always tell me, you're not allowed to date till you're 16. And I would always be like, why? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, why? And then they'd give me an answer. Uh, and, and a lot of the stuff, it was like, if I didn't understand, I go, oh, well, why is that a rule? You know? Did you ever have an ability as a youth or as somebody before you're getting married when they're teaching you in Sunday school 
when they said like, oh, well, we don't date, right? Like, were you able to just be like, why? And if so, what were the answers that they give you? I know when I asked my mom, my mom said it's the game of broken hearts. That like, why play this game to get your heart broken over and over again um, when God can tell you who it's supposed to be? Uh, and so That's so toxic. So, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So, oh, man. So yeah, that's what my mom's explanation of it was. Usually it was yeah. just like kind of because I said so, you know, yeah. That, yeah. that was the answer to everything because I said so. Well, why do you have to work at 13? Because I said so. You know? mm. So, um, yeah, and that was so. So tell us, you know, tell the listeners real quick. Well, let's let's go back a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about the Kingston group. I know that it was instituted in 1935 um based on uh, was it a kingston person or who was it that ultimately you know brought this group to to the forefront yeah it was um kingston and he was part of the lds church and he had a revelation that he needed to start this offshoot um his the story that we were told was when he was consecrating his belongings and reading the the bible and the book of mormon that it said you needed to consecrate all your belongings to the church so he said he went to the bishop and the bishop said like he was asking him hey how do i consecrate everything i know i need to turn everything i have into the lord i've written down everything i have what do i do and the bishop told him to just leave it alone and not talk about it. So he kept going up the chain and everybody just told him to just leave it alone. And he's like, well, this isn't right. And so he had a revelation that he was supposed to start the church to be fully consecrated to God. And so he started the, the Kingston group. And there was also, um, I don't know, have you heard about the Council of Friends? That, that sounds that sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. So when the manifesto was signed, then there was a council of friends that was created. And it was like some, I think there were seven different men. It's on Wikipedia, but like mm -hmm. there was a Barlow, there was like somebody from the Jets group, and there were seven different men that were brought together and told that they needed to not let a year go by without being a child being born into polygamy. And that somebody would come later to organize them all that was not a part of this council. So the leader of the Kingston group, he decided since he wasn't a part of that and he heard about it, that now he's the one in charge. So he had sent a letter to all of them telling him that he is doing the real kingdom of God on earth and needed to bring them all in. Some of them did and some of them didn't. Um, the, they were told not to organize, and um, the Barlow group is the one that pretty much stayed unorganized. So I've been told that they still feel like they're the most righteous, but I haven't talked to any of them personally about it. But I, I do know quite a few Barlows, and their families are really nice and really respectful of other people. And so I, I don't fault people for what they choose to do as an adult. It's mm -hmm. when children come into play with it. And so, so that's part of what I like to speak out against. Um, but so he did send out that letter and some of them joined, some of them were like, you crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then after that, it's just, you know, apparently it's only his family that gets chosen for, by God here on out to be the leader of that group. <laughs> wow. 
Now, so it sounds like, okay, so so make sure I understand kind of the idea. At first, uh, this Kingston fellow felt that the law of consecration wasn't being wasn't being followed in the mainstream church, so left to kind of live the law of consecration. And then at some point, polygamy came, became a part of that. that. Was that right? Yes. So after okay. he left to do it, then he also had direction to take on another wife. And so mm -hmm. he did that. And then mm -hmm. from there, it went through during the Great Depression. And so he was able to get a lot of people, you know, going through the Depression to get together to survive. You know, looking yeah. back on the history, the way that I've seen it, it was a really smart businessman who figured out a really great, great way to get his family through the Depression. So mm -hmm. you get a bunch mm -hmm. of people to bring everything they own and they had some land and bountiful. And so like they had tents set up everywhere, just kind of a compound of all these people working together to survive during the depression. So if somebody joined, they brought everything they had, all their clothes, all their food, all their belongings. They brought it to bountiful to the homestead, put everything together and then it was shared. So everybody was able to survive the Great Depression altogether. Wow. So now that uh, that is instituted starting 1935 or so. It's officially chartered. And then uh, does your family line, I guess, where, where does your family line fall into that? So my, Are they like right at the beginning down or do you have people who converted? Yeah, so it was towards the beginning. I want to say it was like 1937, 1938. Um, my great-grandparents, they were living in Elmo, Utah. And my grandma, she was a spiritual one. So she had been approached about it. And the family all moved to Bountiful from Elmo, Utah. And so my grandpa was about 13, 14. And so mm -hmm. it was my great grandparents and the kids that were already born that joined. And so, yeah, my grandpa was around 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and you, you mentioned earlier that your dad, uh, your, 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 is this on your dad's side then that you're talking about? Yeah, this is my yeah. dad's side. My okay. dad was born into it. Okay. And then your mother joined the group. She's a convert, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so she's first generation then? Yeah, she joined in the 80s. Okay. And so, um, but your dad only had one wife. Mm -hmm. um, when when you have in your group, or in that group, I don't want to say it's your group, you're not in it anymore. But I mean, like, in that group, when, um, uh, if somebody doesn't have more than one wife are they kind of looked down upon or do people criticize that oh yeah my family was lower on the totem pole absolutely mm -hmm. like even though my dad's an attorney he's very smart mm -hmm. he's a numbered man in the group and that's something we can get into another time but um oh. he is our family is still looked upon or looked down upon mm. because you don't engage in polygamy specifically and just he was just low on the totem pole there his dad and his other siblings had left in the 80s so mm. my grandpa had left in the 80s my grandpa's still alive my grandpa just turned 100 in june oh wow <laughs> so my that, grandpa's still alive so i've heard a lot of stories from him wow wow so <clears throat> now your grandpa did he 
I, I, is anybody in your line a polygamist and your dad just chose to not, or have they all kind of just not been polygamists? No, none of them are. My grandpa was only married to my grandma and she died when I was about 13. My grandpa never remarried. Hmm. And my great grandparents, they were only married to each other too. Um, in my family, I only have one sister that is a second wife and the first hmm. wife has actually left. And so hmm. in my family, none of us are polygamous. So in your family, as you're parts of this group, do you, what is your family's view on polygamy? Like, and then let me, let me give you a backdrop, right? Like uh, you, you, I'm sure, I mean, you know, some of this, a lot has come out in the last 10 years about how polygamy was lived in you know, in Joseph Smith's time, right? And a lot of, there's a lot of differing views within the mainstream church of what that means and how people feel about it. Is it very similar in your sect? Uh, and, and what was your family's view? Like, did they have a kind of negative view towards polygamy? So in the home, it wasn't really talked about. Um, I know my, my family are, the Hansons are gossips. <laughs> they do like to talk. Um, you got, you but, guys are definitely, you, you sit, whatever sect, you're Mormon for sure. <laughs> so, so yeah, my family would talk and gossip and stuff. Um, my mom just told us we needed to do what felt right with us, marry who we felt like God wanted us to marry. And I mean, my family, my issue with my family, I don't talk to a lot of them because I feel like it's kind of a bad environment is they, they won't recognize anything is wrong. My sister was 14 when she got married to a 36 year old man. And Whoa. they just say things were different back then. Things were not different in the nineties. No, yeah. 14 year olds be married to 36 year old and they won't recognize that that is wrong, that that is immoral, that he was a pedophile. Like, they won't recognize that because she's so married to him. And even when I was in the group, I told him to his face that I thought that he was a pedophile. Like wow. I kind of always just felt like that. And uh -huh. it's just, they won't recognize that anything was done wrong. And to me that that's just a bad environment. So let me ask you a question about that. Then I take it from what you've said so far, that a 14 year old marrying a 36 year old within this group was not uncommon. Was that? Oh no, it okay. was not uncommon at all. But like, what do they think about, I mean, listen, in the nineties, you started hearing kind of like, if they said, well, the things were different back then, listen, we were hearing about R Kelly in the nineties and everybody was a little weirded out. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, underage girls and things like that. So how is it that within and and well and also isn't the 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 uh what do you call it statute the statute you know the statutory rape laws 16 right so how is that possible were they were they hiding it so actually in the state of utah the age of consent is 15 for a female and 18 for a man really different for a female yeah and um so it was i want to say it was 2019 may have been 18 um, there was a law changed in Utah about the marriage, the marriage age. You could get married at 15 in Utah at that time. And we were trying to change it to 18. No, no exceptions. 
Um, we couldn't get that past the legislation. And so 15 can no longer get married in Utah. 16 and 17 can, but a judge has to sign it. No more just parent signature. And when we got that passed, I said, okay, now what are we going to do with the age of consent? And they're like, what do you mean? This changes that. I'm like, no, it doesn't. There's a completely different law. And um, that representative we were looking working with, she looked it up and she's like, I can't believe that that's what it is. Yeah, 18-year-old for a boy and 15-year-old for a girl for the age of consent. Wow. Okay, so you, it sounds like you were involved in the legislation. Mm-hmm. Who were the holdouts and why were they holding out? Um, well, the main one, so I did do some lobbying. I did pull out different um, regis- uh, representatives. The main holdout was um, Lesenby. Um, mm. She's a female and her whole excuse, and I really didn't like it, was she had a friend. This is what she said to me. She had a friend who got pregnant at 17, was LDS. They got married, had the kid. And they've been together for over 20 years. And so she felt like people that had situations like that should be able to get married if they so chose to. I'm like, to me, if you're under 18 and you're making irresponsible decisions like that, you shouldn't be making the decision to get married. A baby does not mean you need to get married and a baby is not a way to fix a marriage like some people think. (laughs) Well, and two, two things about that one. Okay. So that happened one time. (laughs) Great. Great. That happened one time. There's lots of times that didn't. And then on top of that also, okay, sure. They can also get married a year later at 18. Like they don't have to break up. They can have the baby and get married at 18. And think about all of those people that could be helped. Just, you know, your one friend would have just had an anniversary one year later. Yeah. So that's uh, that's surprising to me. It's really surprising. So now tell me, um, so no, no actual dating. Um, so when you got married, did you feel like you were in love with your husband? I mean, I did. The way that I grew up. Um, and it's kind of a, a fallback to now. Um, I did get married again after I left mm-hmm. and I was with him for five years, married for two. And I, he was also a gaslighting narcissist. And mm. I've learned from a lot of people that leave. That's what you gravitate towards because that's what you've known your whole life for love to be. Mm. So this person that treats you like crap, They must be in love with you because that's how you were raised your whole life. Like growing up and my dad didn't do a lot with us. Everything was my mom. Like right now I'm teaching my oldest how to drive. She just turned Mm. 16. And Mm. um, I, my memory of learning how to drive was my mom. My mom after church every Sunday took me, drove me to Wendover. So from Salt Lake to Wendover, it's two hours and back. And it was my mom. My mom did all that driving. School plays. My mom was PTA president. I did go to a public school. I'm the only one of my siblings that went to one elementary, one junior high, and one high school. And I did graduate a year early. And Mm. like my mom made sure that we had our education because a lot of girls that didn't happen within the group. But Mm. my fondest memories of growing up all are my mom because 
my dad, even though he was only married to my mom, he was an attorney and he just worked all the time. And I see you are, and I love yeah. everything. You're, you're there for your kids. And I just yeah. wish I had that growing up too. Yeah. But I think that's also the way my dad was raised. And yeah. so you're raised to believe that that's how you love somebody then your kids are going to believe that that is love when it's really not. I had to go through a lot of therapy for years and really decide what, what did I deserve? And I also kind of asked that of somebody else if I wasn't going to be that way. And yeah. so I had to do a lot of soul searching and figuring out what kind of person I was going to be. And so, yeah. So that has to be really hard when you've grown up one way and then you've realized that is not the way you want to live and kind of deconstructing that. And so um, going back, that kind of leads me to another question. Um, and, and this is informed just by the, you know, the mainstream Mormon kind of way. There are people that I know who just always knew the church was true. Some people who, who, you know, questioned it all the way. And a lot of people in between, uh, a lot of people who didn't buy it and left. Uh, so as you were growing up, um, did you feel like you had a testimony of the group or did you question, like, were there times that you questioned? Um, where were you kind of in that pendulum? So I think I knew when I was younger that I didn't believe in it. I knew I never wanted to live polygamy. I just never did. And I even, I did run away for a couple of weeks at the age of 17. Mm -hmm. So, so I did run away, but my family was a really close knit family and I went back cause I missed them and I, I missed my family. I wanted to be with my family. And mm -hmm. so then I just also, when I went back, cause I had been a bad girl, I got put on a leash and so things just became tighter and suffocating. And that's when I really wanted to get married to get out of that house. <laughs> when, you, when you say you were put on a leash, you're not meaning literally, right? Like you, you or figuratively? Figuratively. And I was still in high school. Uh -huh. I did go to high school with other kids from uh -huh. the same group. And people's schedules were switched around to where somebody was with me in every class. My sister so. drove us to school. Somebody was with me in every class, got done with school, went to work and went home. Like I was literally watched all the time. Wow. And is that, um, that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is how do they keep and recruit members? So, so many of the families are just born into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got the the main seven brothers that are Kingston's. And I mean, they, the leader, I think has 32 wives, 34 wives. He has over 30 wives. There's at least a couple of the other brothers as well. The other ones have dozens of wives. Like so many of them are just kept because they are just all part of the same family. They don't know anything else. How, how is that, okay, how is that even possible? I mean, how can you possibly give 30 women any attention at all? Like, it, are you going one day a month to each person's house? Like, how does it work? Well, and we were also taught, though, when it comes to intimacy, you don't do that unless you can get pregnant. So 
No you kidding. Have, you have to think if the the leader, the leader and his first wife, she's close to the same age as him in his 60s. I think he's almost 70 now. And his youngest wife is the same age as me. No kidding. So, I mean, some of his wives are where they can't have kids anymore. So he does spread his time out. But they also, growing up, we had um, our Sunday school was also um, kind of grooming classes. And they mm -hmm. taught you how to take care of your husband. And they said, you want to make your house like a happy place. You want his house to be where you want to go. If he's not happy at your house, he's not going to choose to go there. And so that's part of it, too. I know some husbands that didn't like some of their wives and they would just avoid them. Wow. No kidding. Yep. Oh, man. That sounds, quite frankly, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> right. <laughs> like 30 women you have to deal with? Oh, yeah. Well, so um, now the people that you what was the like is there kind of an average number of wives that some of these guys had not not really an average so my dad wasn't married to anybody else not for a lack of trying my mm. dad was low on the totem pole um when it came to the men in the group and he did present himself to be an option for several different women but they ended up marrying the Kingston brothers. If you could marry uh, someone with the last name Kingston, that's what you want to do. Cause that just brought your, you higher up in the, the hierarchy there. Mm. And so it was really where you could get, if you could get a Kingston that wanted to marry you, that's what you were going to go for. And so it's not really an average number or anything, but where we were taught that you have to have three wives to go to the highest kingdom of heaven. Wow. So you, how did that, do you have any idea how that made your dad feel? Like he's presenting himself as an option, but these Kingstons are taking up all the women that he's presenting himself as options to. And he, I mean, I, I got to also imagine like you, you need to have three wives to get to the highest kingdom of heaven. He's got one. Has he, did he ever, did you ever get any sense of how he felt about that? I was just told because kind of I questioned that and they said, well, he'll get the chance on the other side. Oh, yeah. we've, Yeah. Wow. So um, now how are so how is it work? Does um, does each wife have their own home then? Is that how that works? In the Kingston group, they do. Um, there was somebody from the Kingston group that married um, girls from another group. And mm. so both of his wives were from this other group. And that group, they usually do live in the same house. And so those two wives did live in the same house, one on top, one on bottom. And so um, I have heard that a couple have started to do that. It's a way to, of course, save some money and be able to have, you can watch each other's kids if one works, the other one babysits type of things but the majority of them have their own homes and don't live together and how do they get support i mean how do, how do these guys support multiple wives the guys don't support the wives the wives support them oh really are the wives out working then uh yeah the the kingston's own several businesses and all the the wives work my ex-husband his dad had three wives um one of them had died before my ex-husband was born but I, my first job, I worked for his mom. You know, she was mm. one of my bosses. 
And so mm. I never knew her not working ever in my entire life. Wow. So yeah, even so, so story to when I first got married. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first got married, you know, I expected it to be kind of how I said my mom was that, okay, mm. until I have kids, I'll work, but then I'll be able to be a stay at home mom. And it was two days after we got married. He sat me down at a kitchen table and he had written out all of the bills and he told me that I was to pay all of the bills and he was to pay me $200 a month room and board. So your, your, your husband said this. Yeah. So you meaning when he said you had to pay the bills, meaning he, you had to work to pay all the bills and then he was just going to give you 200 bucks, 200 bucks a month for room and board. Wow. How did you feel about that? I I was I was in shock. I I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of like, okay, I was raised to obey and please my husband and so I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is what's happening now. And then when I had a kid, it went up 100. So when I had my first kid, it went to $300 a month. So he was paying me $300 room and board to help take care of our kid. <laughs> Well, so three hundred three hundred dollars room and board. What was he doing with the rest? I mean, he worked. He he did. So the rest of it, he was saving to be able to have another family. Is what he told me. Um, uh, my my ex husband is a civil engineer um, mm. with a professional engineering degrees license. Mm. So he is college educated and wow. was definitely making way more than I did. So he definitely is helping to take care of the kids now <laughs> yeah i guess so man that yeah so he now did he take on another wife or multiple wives after that or after i left him he got married to his okay. um second cousin so no second first, cousin. first cousin once removed so her dad is his first cousin mm. wow yeah. yeah that's is that common in, in these in the sect too, like some oh, kind of incestuous oh yeah, even stuff. First cousins. His older brother's married to their first cousin. Wow. So uh. yeah, his older brother is married to his father-in-law's sister. So yeah. Uh, yeah, then I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So now going back then as you're growing up, like you always grew up in this and at what age were you when you said like I don't I don't think I believe this. I mean, I kind of had always questioned it growing up, um, especially I did get to go to public school. Mm -hmm. And so I did make friends, but we were taught you had to leave your school friends at school. But definitely I had my own internal questions because I did find other people at school attractive, even people of other races. And that was bad, you know. Well, they don't they don't like interracial yeah. marriage. Yeah, no, definitely mm. not. There, there's nobody in their church that's um, not white. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So they're they're like really fundamentalist. Oh, I remember when somebody that was on the outs um, brought some African-American people to one of the dances. Oh, they flipped out and kicked them out of the dance. Wow, like, no they kidding. They weren't even allowed to just be there for the dance. They they say words that they shouldn't. They um, Last year, there was a case in Sandy, Utah, of some people that created a um, hate crime against some um, gay, gay men in Sandy. 
for mm. their pride flags down and everything. Those kids are part of the Kingston church. I recognize them. Mm. So I helped that family a little bit as I could, but, but yeah, no, you gotta be straight and white. Wow. Man. Now, so um, you mentioned attraction to other people, mm. but at the same time, um, you know, they're teaching you that intimacy is only for having babies and there's no dating. Um, and, and I'm assuming you had other girlfriends within the, the group that probably felt the same way. What did you guys kind of, how did you square that? So I was really just a lot with my family and then, mm. um, work and mm. then, um, Sunday school and Sunday school, my girlfriends were my cousins and mm. those cousins were also on the low end of the totem pole and they have they left the church before getting married or having kids or anything like that um so it wasn't really something you talked about with other people <laughs> mm. so mm -hmm. you if you had doubts you didn't share it um mm. i did end up making another girlfriend and it was my ex-husband's sister, which I didn't know at the time what she was doing was courting me to bring her into their family. So mm. that's something they do. They'll um, get a sister or a wife to befriend the girl that they want to join their family and mm -hmm. start bringing her around family activities and things like that. So mm -hmm. you feel comfortable. You, you want to be a part of that. That becomes your family. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. you definitely want to marry into that and so I found that that's something that they did along the way. Hmm. Interesting. So there's, it sounds like what you, you kind of said this earlier, it sounds like there's a lot of grooming behavior to get these young girls ready to marry these. I mean, are they, is there typically, how old was your uh, ex-husband? Um, so he is, he was born seven years older than me. Okay. So, and you said you were 18 when you got married or 19? Yeah. So he was 36. Or he was 26, 30, sorry, 26. 26. Yeah. Okay. And you were 19. So, um, is the, what is the typical age difference between husbands and wives? Is there, is there a typical? There became a smaller age difference. Um, so, erection is what we started calling direction like we started using it that way that as soon as that started happening they started letting them get married so there mm. was a lot more teens marrying teens um, mm. when i left um but usually usually about five to ten years yeah wow i'm just curious like you know you hear i don't know if you ever you might have watched the documentary i think it was on netflix on the flds church and it just seemed like there was just like a bunch of 45 50 year old guys marrying all these like 15 16 year old girls was there a lot of that going on in your in your neck of the woods oh yeah and those dances that they do on saturdays it's a lot of older men dancing with younger girls and <sighs> um we have a lot of us I, that have left we call it the pedo dances oh i gotta i gotta tell you i because yeah. i have i mean i have a, a daughter who's turning 15 next month and i gotta tell you if some 35 36 year old dude would if i walked into a church because we have church dances all the time i drop my kids off to them all the time if i saw some 35 36 year old guy dancing with her it'd be dead on sight like i just i couldn't even imagine i couldn't even imagine 
Like just thinking about it is making me angry right now, thinking about mm-hmm. something like that happening. How, how does your, I mean, how, and you, you, maybe you're not, you're not the best person to ask this, but like, how does a dad feel about that with their daughters? I mean, I got to imagine there's, did you feel like there was love at home with your dad? Like, did he love you? Did you feel loved by your father? It just, it kind of felt like he was absent, even though Mm. he eventually did have his law office at home. He was always working or came out to watch Star Trek. I remember having to run in and tell him when the commercial was over so he could come back out and watch it. Mm. Um, But there was a lot of, you know, one dish was dirty. He would pull them all out of the the cupboard and we'd have to rewash every single one. Like he was kind of hard. He's kind of gotten softer as he's gotten older or older. So Mm. I'm, I'm his second born. Um, my mom's fifth born. She was married before, um, in the LDS church and she left and married my dad. So I'm his second and I have, there's 12 of us. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. So, so out of the 12 of us, I have eight younger siblings and I have seen him become more gentle and more loving as mm. we've gotten older. Like we used to get spanked with belts and wooden spoons. I don't think mm. he's ever done that to my baby sister. Mm. I think just growing up, there was some parenting that needed to be learned. And I I do wish that I had a better relationship with him, but it's Mm. just the way that it was. Now, now when you, when you leave the church, are you cut off from family or does your family still talk to you? How does that work? So at first I did I was talking to some of my sisters and mm. then was talking to my mom and told her everything that happened, the final straws that happened. And mm. um, she really felt with it and believed what I said. There was some abuse that happened at the end. And mm. he had also told them the same story I did, but he didn't think it was the same thing that I thought it was. Mm. But I, my parents did recognize that what I said was the truth. Mm. And so they they were talking to me and until a couple of years ago and Melissa started mm. opening her mouth. <laughs> Would you I'm sorry, say that again? What'd you say? And Melissa started opening her mouth and talking, mm. but I I did stay quiet for years. My mom raised us, you know, if you leave, just leave and don't cause problems. But mm-hmm. the problem was I wasn't being left alone. And then things started happening with my daughters and Mm. my my middle two, they're 13 and 14. And that grooming starts at 13. As soon as things started looking like they were getting groomed, I was like, no, I'm like, absolutely not. I am going to open my big mouth to try and protect them. Oh, cause your, cause your daughters, do they spend time with their dad still within the sect then? Yeah. He gets every other weekend. Oh, wow. So he, so they go to that church and stuff like that. And you're noticing they're being fed some stuff to be groomed, to be married in the, in their church. Did your daughters believe it? Were they kind of believing that stuff? Um, (laughs) um, I have some LGBTQ kids, so Ah. Mm, okay. that's not going to (laughs) work. That's not going to work. It's, um, male to female. Oh, okay. She doesn't go at all anymore. And okay. my next one is um, gender fluid. 
And then mm. the other one, she's, she's, she's not deciding and they don't have to, they're kids. Yeah. They, I just tell them, I said, I don't care who you love or you hang out with. As long as there are people that encourage you to be good, that you mm. feel safe and secure around with. That's who I want mm. you to hang out with. And so I'm Correct. like, you don't have to decide. I have friends in my 40s still figuring that stuff out. Yeah. I'm like, I want you to go to college, get an education, be able to support yourself, and then worry about all that stuff. Yeah. So, so that's so, where it feels like they're going. So a couple of questions. I hope I remember them all. One, okay. do you do you get blamed for your kids' LGBTQ status? Like, do they do the people in the church be like, oh, well, yeah, Melissa took off and now the kids are all you know, they're all of the world. I mean, do you get, do you get some of that? I, I haven't really like talked to my family in the last couple of years and it's really mm. been the last year that stuff's been happening, but mom, mm. blame me for my kids' happiness. Go right for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. The other, the other thing was, um, see, this is why I was like, I have so many things I want to ask you and now I'm forgetting some of them. I wanted to go back cause you said, you told your parents some of the final straw things. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about what those final straw things, and I assume when you mean final straw, I mean like why you left the church, right? Yeah. Uh, what are the final straw things if you are comfortable talking about them? Yeah, I've said them publicly before, so I feel like it's okay for me to say it. Um, towards the end, I did a lot of, praying, praying to God. Um, my ex started going after younger, younger girls, and mm. I was feeling very disgusted by it. Mm. And so I was praying, praying to God. I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do here? And it came clear as day to me at one day when I was praying about it. And I had a voice say to me, God doesn't usually command the easy thing to do. And we are taught that people out in the world just cheat on each other. And mm. so it kind of felt like, why would God command us to do something that's just so easy to happen? Mm. So to me, that was saying, no, polygamy wasn't right. And then um, I was still disgusted by the age of these girls that he was pursuing, that I would not be intimate with them. And mm. he decided that he was going to do it. Mm. And I left a week later. Mm. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, I can't imagine. That's. I was gonna ask you what happens if you if you refuse to be intimate with your husband. Is that is there like a rule on that or? You don't. Even though you're taught growing up that you shouldn't unless you can get pregnant you also never deny your husband so if there's something your husband wants you're supposed to do it for him no matter what that is now here's a question this might sound a little strange but i gotta i gotta ask it because i've been in the, i've been in leadership in my church and one of the things that i think is quite a interesting thing is um i think it's no secret i mean Porn is everywhere, but there's a lot of people who look at it. Is that an issue within your sect that you're aware of? Like men, you know, you're not supposed to be having sex unless you're having babies. But did you get a sense that, I mean, they were doing it for fun. And did you get a sense that is porn a thing within that 
the church that you're aware of? Um, not really that I'm aware of. Um, when one of the jobs I had, I did help with the computer programming and stuff and did have to do some virus software and found some on one of the men's computers. And mm. so obviously I realized then, okay, it does happen. Uh-huh. If you have 32 wives, I don't know why, but anyways, <laughs> it's not really talked about a lot in, in the church. It was, you know, definitely kind of brought up as a no-no, but not something that was like really a subject that was talked about. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because I just got it. There's a lot of people out there, uh, and me kind of included, that just thinks that like, listen, if you, and maybe it's just a different lifestyle i don't know but there's got to be something going on there if you are attracted at 40 something years old to these young girls there's got to be something that's doing that for you you know what i mean it it, it, that doesn't i just don't think that that naturally comes just because you know anybody who looks at these polygamy like that you have 32 wives you're definitely got some you know you're sexually charged I mean, wouldn't you, would you agree or would you say it was something different? Was there a different view within the church on that? It's just in the church, it wasn't talked about, but I mean, there's a lot of incest that mm-hmm. that happens. A lot of, mm-hmm. you know, uncles marrying nieces, um, half brothers and sisters getting married. What's the joke that they like to say? Like, you know, why go down the street when you can go across the hall? Like, Ugh. It's just that, that is not that is not a joke I ever said. <laughs> but, I know, but I, I've heard it uh, from some of my friends that are in those that are are from those polygamous families. That it's just kind of a it's probably just some joke in their families because it happens. But it yeah. wasn't like really something I was taught because that's not something my family did. Mm-hmm. Although my family's still in it. I, I love my family to death. They they were different. My parents raised us different, like me going to school and graduating high school a year early and my mom making sure we had a couple of choices before we got married. I was definitely taught things a little differently than everybody else. And so I would imagine that there's some things that they are taught in the Kingstons and in those families that do have more than one wife that I wasn't brought up with. Yeah. Now there's, I have to ask, was there, is there anything you've been out of this for 10 plus years now? Uh, is 11 there, years. Yep. So like, were there, was there anything that you found positive about being within the Kingston group? Things you liked? Yeah, there's things I miss like, like the dances. Yeah, it was something to do every Saturday, get out of the house, be around, you know, like-minded people, uh, you know, part of it. And it was something to do every Saturday. And, you know, it's kind of stuff that I miss that I wish my kids had instead of sitting on their computers all the time playing. I know know what that's like. (laughs) Yeah, and just like getting to, to have those things to look forward to do. Um, family reunions, things during the summer that they would do events for. Because, I mean, I don't know, maybe other religions do that. I've kind of stayed non-religious since I left. Um, mm-hmm. Just occupy my time with my family. You know, I kind of also am learning. I miss being, I was taught to have a good work ethic. 
trying yeah. to get my 16 year old to get a job. It's kind of like a different generation. Yeah. But it was also kind of like I was raised, do what you're told or you're going to get beat. So mm, yeah. I don't my children. So it's right. kind of, you know, I, I, I really miss, I have brought it up before to other people. I miss the Saturday dances. Something mm -hmm. to look forward to every weekend to hang out with your friends. Um, that's the main thing that I miss from it. I miss my family sometimes, but I got my kids. My kids yeah. are all I need. And I, my fiance I, and the friends that I've met with him. Like I, I do love the friends that are around me. I have some best friends that like we I went to Moab with and we do trivia every Wednesday. So I do kind of have a thing that I get to look forward to as yeah. an adult, but not something I get to do with the family. Yeah. I hear you. You know, I don't think these kids understand uh, how much we love them. You know what I mean? Like they don't get it and they won't get it until they have their own. You know what I mean? I, I didn't understand how much my parents cared about me until I have my own. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I, I have to, I have to ask you this, you know, a lot of the, well, before I go, in, go into that, did you ever, when you got out of the church, did you ever try to just go to like a mainstream Mormon church and see how it felt? Or were you just like, I'm not interested in religion, period? So I did. And okay. um, part of it, I was, when I was in the, at the Kingston church, I was a holier than thou person. I mm. did not miss church. I went to everything and I was going to be the best, the, the, the best person I could be according to that church. And so I did try to go after the Kingston's are a lot about money and mm. I would pray before I went. I said, if they bring up the first thing is about money, I'm out of there. And it was the first time I went to the LDS church. It was all teaching you about tithing and turning it in like mm. the 10% before you pay any of your bills. And I went to a Methodist church and same thing happened where the first thing was about tithing and how this guy died because he lied about how much he had to give and oh, so I'm wow. like, okay i like this is god's message to me too yeah. you know but if it was going to be about money it wasn't going to be for me yeah that's interesting yeah that's really interesting um because the reason i bring that up is because like my kids they they go to i, I I'm constantly chauffeuring my kids to these dances and I went to them too. You know, I, I, it's, it's kind of fun and there's a lot of uh, good stuff there. I, I have to ask. Um, yeah. And there's you know, one, like just one block away. And so I've told my kids, I'm like, you guys want to go, you have yeah. my, my blessing to go wherever you'd like to go. I'm like, yeah. you guys got to figure things out for yourself. I'm not going to tell you what to think. Yeah. Well, and that's, what's interesting is that, um, I, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, I know that most members of the church, when they talk about um, why they come to church or why they believe in the church, there's, there's, there's a spiritual experience that they've had, you know, they feel the spirit. Um, did you ever have any spiritual experiences while going to church in the Kingston group that kind of made you gain a testimony that it was true? Not, not really, not, not about the church. I always had an off put feeling about the leader, about the ones that were in charge. I just, I kind of always had a sickening feeling of, about them. 
and so not not really with the church there were things like my mom always told me i had the the holy ghost with me i always i'm pretty empathic and a little mm. sensitive mm. i i believe in ghosts and stuff but mm. and i feel like one of my daughters is sensitive like that too mm. and so I've, I've had like things feel a little spiritish not uh -huh. necessarily spiritual okay yeah. Did you did you ever feel like you had a, any sort of a, a testimony of, say, maybe not the church itself, but the gospel, like the Book of Mormon, the Bible, Jesus Christ? Did you ever feel like you had a, a testimony of any of that? Not really. I, no. I, I'm one of those people that when there's a plane crash and one person lives and they're like, thank God, I've always been like, why the one person and all these other people died yeah. like i don't know i'm i've kind of been getting more into my norse heritage my viking heritage where you have like all the the norse gods and odin and thor and all those and none of them pretend to be all merciful and i feel mm -hmm. like that that's how god should be is mm -hmm. they're not going to pretend to be all saviorish they're a little jokester sometimes. So, so I have been getting more in tune with that. So mm. I don't know. I'd, mm. I'm, I'm still figuring that stuff out. I'm still searching, still figuring that out. I haven't come to any conclusions on any of that because this didn't, life didn't come out of nowhere in my opinion. So I, I've still got my own searching to do on that. Yeah, and the the reason I ask is because you mentioned you when you were going to church, you were holier than thou, and you had a desire to be the best member of your church that you could be. What do you think facilitated that? I was doing everything I was raised and taught to do. I was baking bread from scratch. I was taking care of my house. I was leaving every place I lived better than I found it. You know, fixed cabinets, painted them. I, I would lived in some shacks mm. <laughs> that literally were shacks. Um, and I I would fix them up. I'd make things nice. I kept my house clean. Mm. I went to church every Sunday. I taught Sunday school. I did different plays. I did the 4th of July celebration that they would do. I would plan it, um, help plan it, um, get food for it, you know, just everything I could, I helped do and just try to make everything around me better than how I found it. And, mm -hmm. and I'm still always been that way. Mm -hmm. And so I just try to be high and almighty when I was in there, just make sure that I was the top of everything. Mm -hmm. I was going to do the best I could. And, do, and I still do. Do you think that some of that had to do with the fact that your family was kind of lower on the totem pole. So you felt like maybe if I was like a better member, you know, that would, that maybe that would kind of help with your stature. Is that, do you think that might have something to do with it? Possibly. And um, my, my ex, none of his brothers had gotten another wife. And although I didn't want to live it, I, thought that I did need to be better than other people and that was going to happen. And a lot of people said that they thought it would because of me, because of how nice of a person I am, how welcoming I was. And so, you know, I just wanted to always be good and welcoming and just be top at everything I could. Mm. 
Did you, um, even though you didn't practice polygamy yourself, how did you see that in other, other polygamist families, the wives interacted? Did they seem to all get along? Were there some families that the wives didn't get along? And how was that kind of dealt with? Oh, so much jealousy. Yeah. There's so much jealousy. And oh, there was a quote that I saw, and I think it might have actually been a Facebook memory today about that. Let me see if it's on there. It, it was about that, about jealousy. If your person is jealous, that means that they care. But no, they wouldn't be jealous if you don't give them a reason to not be jealous. Mm -hmm. And yeah, let's see if I can find it. No, I can't find it. That was yesterday. But yeah, it was saying your your partner only gets jealous because they care. I'm like, no, if you're secure in your relationship, you're, you're not going to be jealous. And when you marry into it, you should know that that's going to happen. It's a lot of insecurities, a lot of fighting. Um, mm -hmm. My ex-husband, his dad had the two wives that were still alive and they were constantly fighting. They even lived in different cities. So wow. one lived up this way in Taylorsville. The other one lived down in southern, southeastern Utah, the coal mine. That's where I live too. And they couldn't even live together in the same city. And even living apart, they were still always fighting. Wow. Did, he how, was cold. How did that, I mean, I, I got to ask, how does that work? Like, so it's it's not is there not a schedule how do holidays work I mean what do they do on that stuff Yeah and he was he was older so he was he was in his 80s and mm. by this time and he would on the weekends come up to Salt Lake until his health got really bad then the other wife and him did move up to Salt Lake just around the block and mm. so it was more of a schedule of the one wife going to the other wife's house because he he got so bad that he had to be on oxygen all the time. But mm. even my sister, when there was the two wives, all I ever remember was them fighting. Mm. I remember once my sister was 16, so married for two years. So he would have been closer to 40 by now, driving down in our, our Subaru, in our station wagon and pulling up to the house she had lived down at the mine at the time my sister did with him and his first wife. And my mom was in Rose Park in Salt Lake City, Utah. We drove the two and a half hours down there. They had hogtied my sister, had tape over her mouth and threw her in the back of the car because she's a teenager that couldn't be controlled. Well, of course, she was 16. She was a teenager. Wow. And so it was just it, all I remember ever seeing was just all the fighting. Wow. And even at church and stuff, you could tell that somebody was mad at their husband or at one of the other sister wives. Like it, there's no hiding it. <laughs> you saw yeah. it all the time. So did the church, how did the church handle say, I mean, when you have multiple wives, I mean, did they have a policy against like, you know, orgies and threesomes and stuff like that? Or there's was no policies again against it that wasn't talked about, but I I have like asked people that have left since they're like, no, we don't do stuff like that. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say, like, you know, the reason I even asked that is because I, I remember watching that Warren Jeffs 
LDS documentary and they had that weird recording of them doing weird stuff in the temple. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I think that's just so crazy. And so, but it sounds like your, your group, I mean, they, did mo most people go to public school? I mean, you, you're just living out in the community, not in like a compound. Um, no, the Kingston's are all over mainly Salt Lake, but there's some, um, in other States and, um, they have their own charter school now. Hmm. Okay. So, and it's been in the news lately and things like that because it's is a that, charter school. So is it like do, the Alta Academy or whatever it's called? Um, I think it's called Venture. Okay. Yeah. I think it's called Venture Academy if I remember right. And I think that's what it's called. No, Venture's up here in Ogden. Um, that one's a fine public or charter school. I'm, I, I can't remember what it is, but it's in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it's been in the news lately because they're saying that a lot of the funding's just going back into the Kingston group and not where mm -hmm. it should. And so, you know, I don't have a lot to do with that. And so they're going to have to figure out all of that. But I feel like if they're getting public funding, then anybody should be welcome there. And I don't think that that's happening. Right, right. Um, now, one question is when you, you mentioned you, I kind of want to shift to you leaving now and, and kind of what that, what that's been like, because I got to imagine that's really hard. Let's start with the times that you tried to run away. You mentioned that people would come and they would say things to you and kind of a couple of times physically take you back and then sometimes just kind of say nice things. What kind of things would they say to convince you to stay? Oh, like my husband at the time would tell me that he didn't need to get another wife, that he'd stop trying to get another one and he'd stop for like a week and then he was back at it. And another time, the same thing. He said that he couldn't promise that it wouldn't happen, but that he'd stop for at least that year. And then, of course, he didn't stop. Um, I had family members, one of my sister's husbands talked to me and it was like, you know, because I was living down in Huntington, Utah, where the mine was, and I wanted to be closer to my family. My mom had been going through chemo. She had breast cancer and I wanted to be back in Salt Lake by my family. And, you know, they were saying, well, like, let's just find you a house in Salt Lake. You can move back up here, be closer to family. Maybe things would be better then. And so we were starting to look. And the next thing I knew, all of our money was gone because his sister needed a house. And so mm -hmm. he had to help his sister buy a house. And so I was still down stuck in Huntington. And, um, yeah, it was just things like that. And then, you know, brother-in-laws grabbing me and saying, get in my car and you're going to come stay with us. And so I would go stay with them for a few days and then go back home because I also <laughs> liked my home. I like, I'm mm -hmm. an introvert. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I really am. I like being home. I like my home. I made my, my house my home. And mm -hmm. I, I would just want to be home. And then sometimes it's just like, it was everything was just so hard and I just didn't want it to be hard anymore. I just wanted to be with my kids. So I just focused on my kids and then just having to deal with everything. Like I was staying because I was like, okay, 
my kids need their dad. And eventually when I got to the girls being younger and younger, I'm like, no, my, my kids mm. don't need to be a part of this. I got to get out for my kids instead of I'm staying for my kids. Mm. Oh yeah. So was that kind of part of the ultimate decision to leave? Was you like, I don't want my kids raised in this. Yeah. And so much of what I do even now is it's my kids my kids are my life. I've always wanted to be a mom and I, I went through infertility, took me four mm. years to get pregnant with my oldest and my, my kids are my life. And all I want them to do is to be happy, healthy people. Yeah. When you took, uh, when you, when you took off and ran away, did you take your kids with you or did you just go yourself first? I did. I knew I had to, I had seen several girls leave without their kids thinking that they were going to fight to get them back. And, and I knew I could not leave them. Mm, they, mm. Those girls, I, I've been in a custody battle ever since I left, but I've mm -hmm. had my kids. Yeah. And those girls, so many of them lost their kids and either still are in that custody battle trying to get them or don't have their kids at all. And is that a situation of because by the time they file, you know, they don't have full custody and the, the custody is with the other parent. And then so they I just say, so. oh. And sometimes yeah. them escaping, they go over state lines and you mm. can't do that with your kids um, or yeah. your kidnapping. Or if you've gone over state lines and now you filed, I think it's an abandonment issue. And mm. the I wish judges would look at it more of the circumstances you're getting out of and instead of just plain black and white mom and dad, state yeah. versus in state type of things. There's a huge situation there that... I don't think many people can even imagine what's going on and what it took the, that woman to get out. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned that you, um, you know, I mean, I'm just going to say that you, you suffered from a, a sexual assault. Is that, is that accurate at the end? Yeah. Is that common in that, in, in the sect that you're aware of or not? Although I went through therapy for it a lot in the beginning. It wasn't till last year where I could really put the words to it that mm. it was marital rape. Mm. Like, like I knew what happened to me. I, I knew it was wrong. I knew it wasn't right. But recognizing it for what it was, it wasn't till last year where I could say it, it was marital rape. And so many of them think that's that's not a thing how can you be married and your husband rape you well, well it, and, and it is very common in the group you do what he wants if you if you, you don't want him to he's gonna do it anyways so i perhaps you can educate me because listen I, rape is rape if they don't want it and you're doing it that's rape so when you say marital rape is the only difference that you're married and he's forcing is that what you mean by yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, because I just, I don't, I have a hard time with the distinction. Like, oh, it's marital rape. No, it's rape. That's yeah. what it is. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't know, maybe I'm too literal, but I just don't see how you can possibly justify, you know, consent is consent. You either want to do it or you don't want to do it. And yeah. if you don't want to do it, there's, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. So that's, but you think but you say that's, you seem from your experience, it's common within the church. 
yeah, you do whatever he wants and whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like the church is doing um, a lot of brainwashing or do you feel like for the most part, people who are within that church, like the women seem like they're in a safe space? Oh, there's so much brainwashing from a young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just that, that grooming of how to get married and that you have to do what the leader and the parents tell you to do on who you marry and, you know, teaching you that you have to do whatever your husband says. And one thing that we, my mom taught us to, you know, we could ask questions. One thing we were taught in those classes, those grooming classes was you never find fault with your husband. And then if you do, you should talk to his mom about it because she's the one that raised him. And so that that did happen while I was married. There was something I was having an issue with. So I went to his mom and asked her. And what she said to me was, why are you finding fault with your husband? And so it's you're, it's just like you're just you're just stuck then. So like, they're, they're, they're teaching you. They're teaching you from an early age, basically, that your husband can do no wrong. Yeah. That you're wow. just his servant, really. Does that result, because here's the thing, and, and I don't think that this is the norm, um, but I do notice some some people within the mainstream LDS church, they get the priesthood. And I can only assume, just based on if you're on the Book of Mormon and the Do- Doctrine and Covenants, there's a priesthood within your, you know, yeah. your sect of it as well. You know, there's that scripture in uh, the Doctrine and Covenants where they where I believe it was Joseph Smith said it is human nature that once a man gets a little bit of you know authority he you know starts practicing unrighteous dominion and I've seen that quite a bit uh, not quite a bit but I mean I've seen that where a guy gets a priesthood and so kind of kind of uses that to get their their wives or their families to do things that they don't want to do by saying well I'm the head of the household and I have the priesthood and I've received revelation and all that stuff. I imagine that's been your experience as well, but does that graduate within your circle or within that church to physical abuse, emotional abuse? I mean, do you, did you see some of that? Um, I didn't see a lot of that personally, but mm-hmm. I definitely heard about it, especially among the, the leaders, um, mm. the main ones in charge. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely saw some bruises, but you know, you, you don't talk about it. that's not any of your business. Um, mm. you know, you mean, meaning, meaning that the leaders, it, it, there were th- signs that showed you that maybe the leaders were being abusive, but you just never talked about it. Yeah. Mm. Like physically, like you saw bruises. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, how does, how does policing like, you know, is, is there confessions? Is there bishops that would, you know, hear confessions of if you broke a law of chastity rule or a, you know, word of wisdom rule? Did oh, you have leader. some of that? Yeah. The leader. I mean, I definitely. <laughs> so when I did run away when I was 17, it was to be with a guy. So mm. I, I did things. And when I got back, I talked to the leader. I repented. I stayed after church talking to him probably every Sunday for about a month. 
and mm-hmm. then like he just told me I had to repent and I'd be forgiven and basically I was a virgin again. So my my ex husband never knew that I wasn't a virgin because he said he was. So physically mm-hmm. I wasn't, but I had repented. So then I was was a virgin again because I went through those steps with the leader. Yeah, but I mean, okay. Not to get too technical here, but I mean, scientific, <laughs> scientifically and anatomically, couldn't you tell? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. You feel like he never said anything. <laughs> he never so, said anything. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way. Um, but no, yeah, and the, that's, leader. the leader is the one that handles all of that. The leader. Is, yeah. is, the, is the leader considered like the prophet? Yeah. Yeah, and okay. he's the God's chosen one, and he's yeah the leader, and he's also the the head of the Davis County Cooperative Society. You vote on him at every. They have New Year's meetings the beginning of every year, and you vote whether he is going to stay in power or not. Essentially, and you you don't raise your hand against him. Yeah, you can yeah. not raise your hand for him, but you also don't raise your hand against him. Right? Did um uh. Was it weird for you? I mean, like, you know, this guy has like 30 wives, some of them your age. You're 17. You're not married, but you know, he could say he picks you, right? Like, did that weird you out? Um, I'm so, my family's so low on the totem pole. I never thought that. <laughs> Okay. Well, it just, and that finds, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is that you keep referencing that. And that just seems so foreign to me because, like, I don't know why, you know, like it it just seems, I mean, I understand it, but what was it that put you so low on the totem pole just because you guys weren't polygamists or was there something else? So. part of it and like my my ex-husband when we were married like his family kind of said stuff to me about it is so my mom has three children that are from her first marriage okay and my dad did adopt them and two of them were girls and what the oldest one of that is the one that became the second wife the other one got married when she was 17 um uh, my sister crazy (laughs) Mm, okay. <laughs> so, like, people would joke about my sisters. They they mm. do like um, kind of skits and things, and um, they did crazy skits about my sisters. So that, therefore, I am also crazy. So it's uh, like nobody yeah. wants those ones. So, yeah. <laughs> so give me give me a sense of what you mean by because I got to tell you, depending on your experience. <laughs> Crazy means different things to different people. When you say crazy, do you just mean like eccentric or were they just like over the top emotional? Like what what do you mean that they're that they were crazy? Oh, eccentric, um, emotional, um, abusive. I uh, saw them get into fist fights with their husbands. Um, really? I vowed I was never gonna be like that in my relationship. Um, my sisters say what is on their mind. Um, they they don't care what anybody thinks. They aren't going to stick to your rules. They they are going to do what they want. My sisters were in charge in their homes. Nah. Do Are they still active within the church or have they left? Oh, yeah. They're active. Oh, okay. Man, that's interesting. Do you think your sisters are crazy? Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm just going straight to the source. You yeah. think they're crazy too. Okay. There's one that always has to be in a fight with somebody on the holidays. Oh, and that, that yeah. was the last time where I did a holiday with my families. This one sister decided it was four or five years ago. That was the last holiday I spent with my family, even after I left. So five years after I left, I was doing the holidays with my family. And this year, it, she decided that I was going to be the one she was going to be in fight with. And I was like, I, I don't need this in my life. I don't spend time with you. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to be the one you're going to fight with. I'm not going to put my family into that. And so mm-hmm. ever since then, I haven't done any, haven't tried to spend any time with my family because that's a toxic environment. And I, mm-hmm. if she needs somebody to always be in a fight with, might as well be me. And she can have fun with everybody else and keep this mm-hmm. peace there. So this fight you had, tell me. Did you I wasn't her? even there. I oh. wasn't even there. Oh, okay. Okay. I want to, cause I want to say, I was like, okay, that's too, I was just wondering, I'm like, okay, did she swing on you? And did you take her out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, did you finally show her? Yeah. Okay. No, we all have those people and I get it. You know, that, that, that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. And when there's 12 of you, there's bound to be one or two that are a little off, you know? So yeah. now, Going back to more of because they they speak their mind, they they aren't gonna be held down, they're not gonna be Mm -hmm. told what to do. They uh, sometimes they're more bossy than their husbands may like, but it's because they control their family household, and I think that's what they didn't like about the handsome Mm -hmm. girl. Interesting. Now, going back to getting out, so you get out, um. You know, I have to say, like, my experience with some of the members of the mainstream LDS church is that when they leave, they leave, not always, I shouldn't say that, but I have some friends that have left with gusto. Like, they went out and it's like wild and out. You know what I mean? Um, Did, uh, what was your experience like? I mean, you're in this place. Did you immediately kind of shed yourself of all of the rules uh, what was the transition like for you? So I'm, <laughs> so I was hiding for the first few months. Um, uh-huh. I left in September. Um, I had a job by October. Okay. Um, at that time, my ex, a week after I left, immediately filed paperwork. And so at that time, I had my kids a week. He had the kids a week. So I got a job at a daycare center. So when my kids were with me, my kids were with me 24 seven, that entire week I had them. And then when my kids weren't with me, I did my job and my kids weren't with me. I um, went through what I call my whore year. (laughs) Okay. I I went to trivia every Thursday. I talked to people. I dated a lot of people. Um, I ended up a year later with an eptopic pregnancy which Mm. snapped me out of my wildness I was going through. That wasn't what I wanted out of life. Well, can I stop stop you right there real quick? Because I want to ask you a couple of things about that. Like, one, I find it interesting that you start dating because the entire courtship dating process for you is brand new, right? Like, you you never did it. I mean, and you're how old at this point? Um, I was 26, turning 27. Yeah. So this is a brand new thing for you. And then, um, but, but two, I want to ask you what, what is it about coming out of like, 
for lack of a better term, like a moral system. Uh, what is it about getting out of that that makes people turn kind of like so away from it? Does that make sense? Like why, why, like why have, cause it seems common. Like I see it a lot where people, you mentioned like a horrier, like it, it, I see this in like divorces. I see this in people who leave the church. There's just like a, there's a wild and out time. What was it? If you can tell me that, that caused that. I think it was just being so controlled for so long that now you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And also looking for stuff that was missing in that previous relationship. Like we didn't go out a lot. We didn't do things together a lot. You know, the, the intimacy wasn't there unless you could have a kid. There wasn't even like really romantic candle dinners or anything like that. Um, so it was a lot of like, I did karaoke Thursday nights and that was with one of my cousins that had left and meeting people there and um, people that I didn't even date, but I was friends with, I'm still friends with, but even just going out like that was something that I wasn't able to do before. Mm, gotta ask you, what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> Glitter in the Air by Pink. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. I'm a, I'm a big 80s guy, 80s yeah. and 90s. So it's it's funny. I just caught my daughter. It was so funny. I Because um, my, my oldest daughter, I mean, I've got four of them, two boys, two girls. And my oldest daughter, she is probably, like, I love them all, but she has just a hard shell. And I sometimes wonder if she's just purposely hating everything I like. And so... <laughs> I walked into she we have a, a theater in our house and she's playing video games and I walk in and I hear she's playing Whitney Houston's Oh I saw I that I love to with somebody. Yeah, and I was like, Oh my gosh, you're listening and she's like, Well, it's a great song and I was like, I just need to record this. <laughs> that you you actually I was like, I am having an impression on you. You are liking things I like and she's just like, Shut up, Dad, whatever. So yeah. I had to ask. So tell me um, now, okay, so back to this year, you have your year where you're wild in and out, that pulls you out. I kind of view that, I kind of view it almost like a pendulum, you know, like when you mentioned the control, like you're way over here in the control and you kind of, you you have your freedom, the, the, the chain that's holding you up over here kind of lets you go and then you're going way over here before you rest somewhere in between. Does that sound kind of like how your life went a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Uh -huh. A lot of a lot of the partying was with a, a, just one friend. And when I, like I said, when I had my kids, so for a whole week, I would message people, like talk on dating apps and stuff, but I didn't go out the sure. whole entire week. And so the next week I'd go to work and then at night go, go out and whatnot. And so mm -hmm. I think I kind of still kept that. <laughs> like I had the uh -huh. week where I was mom, work mode mom mm -hmm. and then the next week was work and then i could do whatever i want i have my freedom and right. so i can't kind of think it kind of even still went back and forth from one week to another be mm -hmm. because of me being mom mm -hmm. and my kids being what my number one was um mm -hmm. but then having the freedom for a whole nother week then i would just go out 
partying responsibly, never did drugs or anything like that. So just, just drinking and hanging out with new people all the time that mm. I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to just go make new friends. Right. The, it, at this time, when you're going through this, let's, let's just call it the first year, your first year out, did you ever have moments of guilt for leaving? Maybe a couple of times, just, you know, those doubts of what, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? You know, what could my life be like right now? And, but then I'd remember, like, I was struggling so much financially. And as soon as I left, because when you leave, you leave with nothing. I had, I had my kids, I had my van. That mm-hmm. was it. Um, I had gone to Salt Lake to see my mom that weekend. It was her last chemo treatment. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to be there for. So I had the suitcases we had. And then that that was it. I had nothing else. And being even making minimum wage, I had more money than I did in the group. Like mm-hmm. just so much control even over that. It was, I would think about that. I'm like, no, me and my kids are doing fine. Me and my kids, mm-hmm. my kids are healthy. They have what they need. We have a house. I'm paying for it. I'm doing this all on my own. And I just mm-hmm. like, just kept knowing that that I just got to keep going and I'm just going to make a better life. Mm. And um, as you were, you know, you had those few times where they literally came and tried to drag you back. But even after that, when you talk to your parents, when you talk to other people, did they try to convince you to come back? Were they like, hey, you know, you're not living right. You need to come back. You need to come back into the fold and repent. Did you get any of that? Yeah. And I went to church with them a couple times just because I would every, you know, once a month go and my mom has a spare room and go and stay with her because that's what I was used to doing on the weekends. That's what the kids were used to doing. I didn't want to traumatize the kids. So I, I would do some of those things with them. I never wanted to go back but Mm -hmm. like the dances i went to a couple dances after i left and because i missed it and but Mm -hmm. i never like wanted to go back it was just stuff that i missed so when you uh, yeah see that's the thing like i think that a lot of people who are listening to this when you're saying you're escaping you know polygamous cult they're they're viewing like you're leaving a compound right and you can never go back and you're ostracized and it doesn't sound like in this in this group that's that's what happened because if you could go to the dances and go to the church and nobody's like threatening you training you back um what do they say to you like when you come back you you leave and then you come back like do they say anything to you are you shunned or people talking about you well well now now with me talking and stuff that i would probably be escorted out but back then, I think that some of them, um, I was told that other people, I could be an option for somebody else or whatever. And so I think other people thought that they might have a shot with me, but I never wanted to be in there. And so mm. that's probably why I was welcomed. Um, a lot of people knew that I was not treated right. Um, and so I think that's why it was okay with me going. They, they thought that they could still get me back in the beginning. Ah, so do you think, okay, so within the, and, and I, I keep talking to you as if you don't know what I mean when I'm talking about stuff in the Mormon ministry church, maybe you do know, but like we would sometimes call people who don't go to church, who are members, less active members. There's like ex-Mormons, like people who don't go Jack ever. Mormon. 
Yeah, well, Jack, that's a that's a very slang term. I would say actually, I, and I don't know this, but I think a Jack Mormon is is more one that goes and drinks coffee and alcohol. But yeah, but doesn't follow. It doesn't follow <laughs> it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. But like, but no, like, so do you think that people were viewing you more as okay? She's getting divorced from her husband. She could be an option for another husband. And then we get her back into the church at first. Oh, I wasn't getting divorced. As far as our concern, I'm still still to him. I'm still one of his wives. Oh, okay. Okay. Do you have a temple? No. Oh, okay. Her church so is how, in a warehouse. <laughs> oh, okay. So how, where do they do the ceilings? Um, wherever, usually at the church that's a warehouse. Do you, wherever you're getting married, as long as the person's there that can do the ceiling, that's what happens wow interesting okay so now um you know some as you're going through you mentioned you went through some therapy where does that go in the in the timeline um really right after i left within that first week after i left holding out help got me a therapy okay and how long did you go um, I went pretty much steady for a year and went off and on for a couple years. Um, my kids started going in about 2015 and in mm -hmm. 2015, it started to be every other weekend. Mm -hmm. Me and my kids would go to therapy until 2020. Wow. Now your kids, um, at this time, how old were they? Oh, when they started going to therapy, um, my oldest was probably about about nine the mm. youngest was probably about five mm. and when you're you know i'm gonna need you to you know divulge all the stuff you talk to your therapist about but like what kind of topics did you really feel like you needed to work on as you left well like i never knew about the abuse will i always thought you know abuse was like getting hit like that mm. that was abuse. <laughs> right. I didn't know that there was a uh, financial abuse, emotional abuse, mm -hmm. um, mm. the physical abuse, mental abuse. I didn't know that those were all things that could happen. I didn't know that my circumstances with like me paying all the bills and not being able to spend money how I want, that that was all financial abuse. I, I didn't know those things were abuse. I didn't know being told where you could shop was abuse because you're only supposed to spend money at Kingston stores. Yeah. Mm. Like just so much control over everything you do. And they were all abuses and I didn't know. Mm. Interesting. And so that took you some time. Um, and then, you know, as this is going on, um, do you hear anything from people you're in contact with who are still in it? Do you hear anything about what their view of you is? Oh, I was told I'm very promiscuous. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, um, well, and let's let's talk about that. Like, you know, what like what kind of things did you like indulge in? Or I wouldn't say indulge in because I'm not just talking about drinking and sex and things like that, but like. When you got out of the cold, were there things as you started living what we would call, quote unquote, a normal life that you discovered that you liked? Um, 
probably just just the freedom to be able to do whatever you want like mm -hmm. now i mean i've been with my fiance for three years he's my best friend you know mm -hmm. learning what love is is something that was one thing i learned in therapy um i i talked to my therapist about everything she knew about everything that first year and it was also partly her she's like melissa you gotta figure out what you want and then she made me write down everything that I wanted in a partner because I I was looking for love. I was going about the wrong way. And mm -hmm. so I wrote down everything I wanted. And she's like, now look at this list. Are you everything on this list? You can't expect somebody to be something you're not. And so I did mm -hmm. have to change a lot of things. And it's just like the things that I enjoy now are, you know, my family, my, my best friends that I have, my fiance, his his family that's brought me into their lives like like that's just the stuff that i i indulge in now is spending time with friends and family that i wasn't allowed to and making my own family so like when you say that i mean like there weren't there weren't times in the evening where like you and a couple of friends would get together or just hang out have a game night like you guys didn't do anything like that no just it was always just my family like my my mom and my sisters and their families would come over and play games sometimes but you couldn't just make friends wherever and so like I, I i do like when i go out and get to meet new people and people want to hang out more they're like you're so awesome i want to hang out with you more like i like i love to just make people feel welcome i love being a host yeah. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I, I love about I, my parents were really great. In fact, I just I just did a podcast with a friend of mine from high school, Debbie Evers, and she was talking about how my parents always made her feel like she was welcome in the home. And I know when I had kids, I said to myself, I was like, I want to have the house that my kids friends want to come over to, you know, and so that's why like part of the reason why I built the theater and I got like, you know, all these things so that, you know, my son, he calls me after a church dance and goes, Hey, is it okay if I have friends over, you know, like, that's what I want. And I want people to be like that. And it, and it just surprises me that you were kind of, it's, it's it, that you were so deprived of that and that you were able, I'm grateful that you were able to discover that because it's such a good feeling to be able to welcome people into your home and learn new people and, and just have friends and love, you know, it's one yeah. of the most important things in life. And so yeah. what's the, what's the point of life other than just pumping out babies for some 80 year old guy? Yeah. <laughs> on Friday, sometimes I'll like text Tony, my fiance, and I'll be like, I got the kids plus some extra. Yeah. Extra the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always my, yeah. It's I've, I've had that conversation where I'm driving home and my son will call me and be like, can you pick up my buddy? His parents aren't home and he needs a ride. The next thing you know, we got three extra three extra yeah. kids at the house and they're all goofing around. Now, um, you mentioned something earlier I wanted to touch on. You said that there were some things that you felt you needed to change after you looked at that list. What would you say was the biggest thing that you felt like you needed to change? Um, a lot of like wanting to own my own house. Like I wanted hmm. somebody, I mean, I, I kept track of my money just fine. But I never was able to own any of the property. And mm. even the vehicle wasn't put in my name until after the divorce and the judge ordered it. Like mm. my, my name wasn't allowed to be on it. 
So like mm. I wanted to be financially secure enough to be able to buy my own home and just wanted to be somebody that everybody wanted to be around. And I felt like that I was, but then sometimes also didn't feel like it because I wasn't invited to a lot of things. Mm. And I'm one of those people that I, I don't like to be like, hey, can I come along? And just kind of being more outgoing. I wasn't necessarily an outgoing person, just really quiet. And mm. probably I'm still, I'm, I think I might be more so that way as not as outgoing because I know my value and my worth and who I want to hang out around with. So yeah. there's definitely things that have changed in there, but mm. the big one was being financially secure enough to own my own house, which um, happened last year. So, Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. You yeah. know, that's really cool. I love hearing people, uh, especially people that have to do big transformations or transitions, hit, putting out goals and hitting them. That's just, it's really cool because it's its a great feeling. It's its the one of the best feelings in life. And I'm sure, you know, one of the things that I would say about you that I think is so impressive, uh, and I, I love this about anybody who does this, is you recognized you didn't want your kids to see that. And then since then, you know, obviously, probably not perfectly, I don't know you that well, but you've modeled a life that, uh, that your children are going to look at and, and remember that makes sense. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's to that point with my kids. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the memes or the videos where it's like one day they're going to stop asking you to play with them. And so like mm. my youngest is 11 and anytime that he's like, Hey, you want to play this game? No matter what I'm doing, I'm like, yep, let's go yeah. do it. And last weekend, my daughter wanted to do a ghost photo shoot. I was like, all mm. right, let's grab my camera. We're going to the park. Like mm. want to do it? Let's yeah. do it. Especially she doesn't ask for a lot. So it's like, yeah. all right, they they asked to do something with me, even if it's me doing it for them. Let, let's get it. Let's yeah. spend this time together. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm not, I'm feeling that right now because my my son's a senior and you know, I've really pushed him. I, I've told him, I go, I need you. I, I think that this year you really need to hunker down and do everything, but you gotta make sure you have all the fun you want to have because then you're going to turn 18 and then you're going to go to college and you're going to go on a mission. You're going to do all this stuff. And, uh, and he's doing that, but it's been really hard for me, especially the last couple of years as my two oldest start kind of becoming, you know, teenagers watching them. And even to some extent, my younger daughter, who's 12 start kind of not being as interested in hanging out with me as they are hanging out with their friends. And, and I knew it was going to happen and I've accepted it. Like I took my son out for his birthday with his friends and I just, they went to the haunted house and I just like went over to my parents' house for a little while and came back and picked them up because they don't want their dad hanging out, you know? And, but I still have a 10 year old and he still wants to hang out. And I just, it's, it's kind of stinks. It's great, but it stinks because they're becoming really great, like independent people and you're getting to see what they're going to be like, but you know, you you kind of want to be loved. <laughs> and they're all so different. It's so oh. weird. They're, they're all just very different. <laughs> I'm, de I'm dealing with that right now, too. You know, I, I dealt with my oldest son, you know, it, when I, I'm of the opinion as a parent, 
I will sing all your praises when you succeed and you do something great. But when you don't, you get the heat. You know what I mean? And that's just how it works. And my two daughters have watched their older brother get just railed sometimes because he just does something really stupid, right? And so, I, I mean, I won't share exactly, but now it was their turn, right? They got it. And they just, uh, they don't, I have to adjust. You know what I mean? I can't do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just because they're different people. I can't, I can't go on, I can't go hard on them. Like I, they're, the brother can take it. You know, he's got a little bit of a hard head, so he well, can take it. Like, there's a comedian we're going to go see next month for my fiance's birthday. I'm Chad Daniels. I don't know. If oh, you've okay. Him, but I he haven't. Does, he does a bit about, he has a son and a daughter and there's all these rules for your daughters, you know, when they're going out, yeah. you know, watch your drink, watch who you're hanging out with, but with your son, it's drive safe, don't rape. Like, yeah. <laughs> and anybody yeah. that has a problem with those words, you should probably have a problem with. But yeah, yeah. there's like so many things when it comes to girls versus boys too. So yeah. I love that. Uh, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I just always tell them they, they hate when I say it, but I say it as a joke. I just go, all right, guys, uh, you know, no sex below the neck. <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay, so you're 10 years out. How do you feel about where your life is right now? My life has, I've been through a lot. I've been through mm -hmm. a lot in the last um, while, um, but the last three years has definitely settled down and become more, more peaceful and more, more secure. Mm -hmm. um, definitely. I feel great where my life is right now. And, um, you know, I've taught my kids things that they, they need to watch out for in that community. And um, I believe my kids when they say that they will tell me if they think that something's inappropriate, if something has happened that they don't like that they would immediately call me. Um, and, and I believe them. So I think I'm raising some pretty good head on their shoulders type people. You mentioned that you have a, you have a, a trans, uh, is it male? She's trans man, trans male, male to female, male to female. Okay. So trans female. Yeah. How is she received within that community? Um, she refuses to go. It's been about yeah. a year. Mm. Um, about a year ago, she just told me that, that she was gay and wasn't the trans part mm. being told to me yet. It was about last March when she told me that she was trans. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it was hard. It's still a little bit of times is, but it, it's not about me. Um, mm. You love your kids unconditionally. Um, if she changed her mind tomorrow, I'd still love her just the same. So yeah. uh, that's who she feels like she is. I'm going to support her. Um, there was a back and forth there where dad was saying one thing, church was saying another thing, another thing was said in court, another thing being said in private that she just put two and two together. And she's like, it's a bunch of hypo hypocrisy and I'm mm. not being told the truth. And mm it was decisions that she made. I did force her to go for a while, but then she's like, mom, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't feel welcome there. I feel sick. And I stopped making her and yeah. the guardian at Lightham told their dad to leave it alone. And, um, he has, I did get her to go with her dad for her 16th birthday. She didn't necessarily like it. She said she kind of felt sick the whole time, but mm -hmm. 
know, I... Is, is, is he respectful of, like, pronouns and all that stuff, or is he not? I don't think so. Mm. It was the last straw with her was their dad had family home evening and had her stand up and point out everything wrong with her appearance and how she expected them to dress in her house. And this is according to her. I wasn't there, of course. And sure. so that, that was the last straw when she said, I don't, I don't want to go anymore. And at that time she had just like still been dressing like a boy, just had her hair kind of long and he was finding fault with it. And she's like, yeah, that was in front of a couple of different families. And I don't think that was appropriate. So I don't want to go anymore. And she was, she's just like, talked to me like that about it. She's really respectful in the way that she talks and she is high functioning autistic and ADHD and mm -hmm. so for her to express any feelings is a little hard and yeah. it has to get to a certain point before she's like, I can't do this anymore. So I respect her decision and um, this is her home. She's got a key to the door. So whatever mm -hmm. she wants to do, she has a bus pass. If she wants to go see her dad, she can at any time, but she chooses not to. Yeah. That's I'm sorry. You guys are going through that. Um I think yeah. since last year she failed a class, so mm -hmm. she doesn't have to go and she doesn't have to worry about that. She got all A's and one C this first term. Oh, so see, that's, that's good to hear. Very proud of her. She's working her butt off now, but she doesn't have that stress. And I think that that helped. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you, um, you know, now that, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time to educate me and my listeners on, on the Kingston group. I've ne I'd never heard of them until I had met you on social media. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you a few questions that I ask everybody. Um, the first one being, what do you think would be, you consider your, your greatest success in life? <laughs> my kids. Yeah. My kids are always going to be that answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm raising some, pretty smart headstrong individuals that are going to be an asset to the world mm -hmm. yeah it's funny you know real quick i wanted to bring up to you you know um you mentioned low on the totem pole it, it, you know the hansen girls nobody wants anything to do with those hansen girls because you spoke your mind and maybe maybe your older sisters were a little crazy but you know they you guys spoke your mind and kind of ran your household i remember uh saying one time i think it was to a teacher because my oldest daughter, she's a, she's a bit of, she was, she's a handful. She can be, <laughs> but I remember saying to them, I go, you know, well-behaved women never create history, you know? And so I, I think you should be proud of that. Like, I think you should be proud of the fact that you're not going to just sit there and obey <laughs> everything you hear. You should have opinions. And that's what I teach my daughters. You should have opinions and you should voice them and you shouldn't let anybody tell you you're wrong. You know, not that you shouldn't admit that you're, you know, you might be wrong at times, but nobody tell you you're wrong just because you disagree with them. Like be strong in your values. And I think it's great that you're raising kids to do that. Okay. That's, that's awesome. So now what do you think is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Uh, my biggest failure in life probably the way I went about finding love. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. I know I, I went about it the wrong way. And you, you talking about the horror year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that and I did get married a 
after I left and that, that marriage too, um, I was taken a lot of advantage of, and I really should have taken time to get to know me. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. always me with my family, then me straight into a marriage and then me straight into all the other stuff I was doing. And I never took the time to really be alone for a while. And Mm -hmm. I should have got to know me. Yeah. Let me ask you, this came to me, you know, you mentioned like your mom kind of went from like mainstream LDS church and then married into the Kingston group. And it, and there's a lot about, for some reason, Utah is just like the place where like every MLM scheme works. You know what I mean? Like kind of type of thing. And so if there's somebody who's listening, who is being kind of lulled into um, kind of one of these groups, like what would you say to that person if you heard that? So I honestly think my mom got trapped into it. I know so many people say it's your decision. You can leave anytime you want, but they don't know. It's not. My mom escaped an abusive marriage from Idaho. She went to Salt Lake. In Salt Lake, she got a job. The job was at a Kingston business. My dad was a manager. Um, When you're trying to bring in a girl from the outside, you are allowed to date date her to bring her in. And he did. And they got married. They were going to the LDS church and then started going to both. And then next thing you know, it was all the Kingston church. Um, she probably sees it differently. Just the stories that I've heard and things I've put together. It's what happens. They bring you in, they promise you things, and then you're trapped. What are you supposed to do? All of your money is in their church. They own Mm -hmm. your house. They own where you work. Mm -hmm. You're there. You have nothing. So when you said, so when you were saying you're, when you were saying you didn't own a, a house before or your van, it wasn't that you're, you're, husband owned it the church owned it well yeah you consecrated all to them his name was on it but you gave them that paperwork wow and so even though don't don't listen to the promises trust your gut is what i say to people in it like there's gonna be a bunch of love bombing there's gonna be a bunch of promises made if you feel something's wrong just just get away from it don't don't believe things are going to be different for you if you're getting into that kind of community. It's not going to be different. It's just different tactics to get you in there. So if you're like a neighbor that's just like a regular person, do you know you live next to a Kingston house? Um, my friends in elementary school that I'm friends with now, they just knew something was different with us. They didn't know. Um, sometimes you can. Um, being a Kingston house is they're the ones that have the you know sheets pinned up to the window like they're Mm. a lot of them a lot because there's a lot of kids and the mom's working they're not kept that clean so Mm. if you're known to be a kingston house it's probably not for any good reasons Mm, interesting okay wow well let me ask you the last question that I ask everybody, and that is at some point when you pass away, there'll be a funeral and there'll be a eulogy. Um, 
what would be the one thing you hope somebody uh, says about you in your eulogy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I stood up for what was right and that I did whatever I could to protect all the children. Mm -hmm. That I think is in incredibly important. Where, where, what do you hope happens next for you? Um, just, I just started a new career. I love where I work. I've been there a month. I just hope to keep going in that. And what, what is it? What do you do? Um, I work for a escrow service company for seller finance. Nice. So, okay. yeah, so, I love my coworkers. They're all so awesome. My boss is amazing. His wife cooked us breakfast this morning. So nice. nice to be somewhere where like you feel like you're appreciated. That's awesome. And so okay. that and my kids, helping my kids to continue on with their education. I never went to college. I want them to. Uh, mm -hmm. My oldest is a, a junior. So senior mm -hmm. next year. So that that's the next goal. Get the kid graduated high school and get them into college. Nice. Awesome. Those are great goals. And it comes fast. Like, it, mm -hmm. it comes so fast. I can't believe my son just recently was telling, we were outside, he plays in a rock, rock band. I was, he's telling one of the dads, one of the other kids in the band, that he's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go to a semester of college after high school, and then I'm going to go on a mission. And I was like, it's like a year from now. <laughs> he's like, yeah. I can't believe that. You're, I, I told him in the car, I go, I, I really can't believe that we're like, we're almost to the point where we got to start filling out your paperwork to go on a mission. Right. And you know, I was like, and you're gone for two years and then you're going to come back and everything's going to be different. You're going to be an adult. It's going to be weird, you yeah. know? And yeah. So, well, I got to tell you, I am so glad we did this. Yeah, me too. I, I really appreciate you. I, I tell you this because I get a sense from you that you're very similar to me and maybe I'm wrong in that. Like uh, it's, it, Sometimes it's probably hard to see uh, the good you're doing, you know. Um, I'm very impressed with you. I, I'm really impressed with what you're doing. I can't imagine having to uh, leave everything you know, everything that you've been taught, born into, and figure out a life outside of that and succeed and thrive. And it may have not been a completely uphill climb i'm sure it was peaks and valleys and they were probably some really low valleys but i couldn't i mean you've it seems to me like you're doing great and i'm just i'm proud of you even though i don't know you that well i'm proud of you for for everything you've done so um is there anything that you think would be really important for people to know about you or anything we've talked about today before we end um not much just people need to know they don't owe anybody anything you just do what you know is right and protect those around you. Yeah. Well, uh, for anybody listening, um, you know, uh, you know, I hope that you've learned something. Um, I hope you subscribe. We got a lot more fun stuff coming up. And uh, Melissa, if people wanted to just kind of follow your journey, uh, where could they find you? Uh, I do have a Facebook for my like speaking out stuff. I haven't been active on it in a little while, but I plan to be more active on it. Um, it's on Facebook. Um, let me see what's the title of it. <laughs> I haven't used it in a while, but I'm going to now that I'm talking again. It's called. 
Where is it? Um, Melissa speaking my truth. Okay. And you find that on Facebook? Yeah, it's on Facebook. Okay. Um, so if you want to learn more, uh, you can find uh, Melissa speaking my truth on Facebook. And I, you know, let's keep in contact. I'd love to hear how life goes with you. I mean, we're friends on Facebook, so we're pretty much just like blood relatives now, right? right. So, so yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll get the chance to see. And, you know, everybody who's listening, just I hope you learned something uh, new and, uh, you know, hit some comments, uh, you know, on, on the YouTube or wherever you listen. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Melissa.